All right, welcome to a Silver Lined Relaunch. And today you are going to hear from the lovely Eleanor Beaton. And she is somebody that I have started to follow and I am positive that you are going to wanna do this as well. Her story, her journey, what she's doing these days, the way she describes things, I feel like she's in my head. She is saying the things that we're saying. So there is so much goodness that's gonna come out of this show. You're listening to The Silver Lined Relaunch, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, award-winning entrepreneur and transitional coach. Each week, I'll invite you to tune into inspirational stories, revealing how you too can turn ordinary experiences into the extraordinary. Feeling stuck? I'll share step-by-step strategies to fuel your ability to experience a life where silver linings are both abundant and possible. Show. So Eleanor, thank you for being here. Thank you, Hillary. It's amazing to connect with you and a privilege to be here with you today. Well, as we dig into what sets people apart are really their relaunches in life, right? The things that are impactful, the mini, the mega, and through those, we, as the audience, get to hear more about who you are more about, you know, the grit, the grace and those type of things. So I would like to start off with just, hey, tell us about you and tell us about a really significant relaunch that you have been through. So Eleanor Beaton and my company is Safi Media that stands for Self-Actualized Female Innovators. Oh, um, love that. Right? We're this group, this sort of growing group and class of women influencers, we are highly educated, whether that's through formal education or the school of hard knocks. Um, We are super influential culturally. And I really feel that as a collective, we have so much capacity to lift each other up and to create positive change. So that's Safi Media. We are an entrepreneurship education company, and we're on a mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past a million in revenue. And that's really important. That means by 2030. So that means we, our goal is to support an additional 200,000 women entrepreneurs to scale past a million. That's how we'll double it. We really feel that, you know, how many today are the, how many today are there? Yeah. People are really scaling. Our calculations show that there are about 180,000 women entrepreneurs in North America who are at that seven figure mark or above, right? And now, when you think how about many, the fact that there's- How many men would you say there are? So they're probably double that. So All right, ladies, double, right? come on, listen up here. We got some exciting things to talk about. <laughs> there We've is work to be done. <laughs> to do, you know what I mean? And I remember, like I grew up, I'm an immigrant to Canada. I live in Canada. My mom is from the Fiji Islands. My father was Welsh- We moved to Canada. My mom did not know the culture at all. And so she gave up her teaching career to raise us. She just didn't really feel comfortable. Um, Just being in a completely different culture. She she didn't want to put her kids where she didn't understand and all of this. So she raised us. And as a consequence, she was really, you know, financially dependent on my father. Most of the time it was fine until they had a disagreement. 
And I can remember she was driving me to basketball practice and she's gripping the steering wheel and she's very mad. I can see it. And she said, Eleanor, money is power. It gives you independence to make your choices, to do the things that are important to you. Always make your own money. And I believe that to this day, that money is not our only source of power, but it is an important expression of power and it's an ex important expression of freedom. So that's a huge, you know, we as women, if we want global equity, we need gender pay equity and women entrepreneurs are a huge part of that. So that's really my personal mission. I'm a mom. I'm a mom of two boys, you know, married to my husband, Leon. We met when I was in my early twenties, um, passionate reader, <laughs> but really. Well, okay. It. So I have to say your mom, and my mom sound a lot alike. Right. You know, God, God bless my mom. She's she's passed, but I mean, I can still remember the day where I walked in on my stepdad and my mom having that conversation where my mom was asking to paint the house. Like we really need to paint the house. We need to paint the house. And my stepdad saying, Hey. I, you know, I just lost my job. I just lost, you know, I have no money, can't do it. Not the right time. And I remember her asking for an allowance and I'm like, oh, I never want that to happen to me. Yes. Mm. And we're so close to it. Um, you know, from a generational standpoint, it's not that far. We're not very far removed from total financial dependence um, that so many women experienced. And so, yeah, it's important work. It is. Work. And, and it does give you choices, right? Yes. It absolutely does. So you, you're brought up with this, you got this mom, you've, you know, moved to Canada and then what starts to happen? Yeah. So I, you know, I always had a strong skill in communication and that ability to learn about people, understand their stories, identify trends, and then translate that into something that was meaningful. I did this as a journalist. I did this as a communications advisor. Um, and I do this as a coach to women entrepreneurs, right? So it was that sort of core central skill set. All of us have that sort of zone of genius, that thing that we do beautifully. That was always my skill set. And so I, you know, initially in my career, I worked in advertising and PR, transition into journalism, and then start my first business as a communications consultant. And it was there that I started consulting with politicians and CEOs and all of that. And I really saw that there was a big opportunity to work with women entrepreneurs to help them shape their message, to help them craft stronger positioning, to help them show up as more powerful leaders. So that really merged, you know, into the business that I have today, which I started in 20, late 2014, early 2015. And I would say that the big relaunch happened from, there've been so many, <laughs> you know, there've been so many, um, so many moments, so many experiences there was a really big relaunch that happened for me when I remember I was doing an event. So my business was starting to, I think this might've been 2016. There was, I was doing an event. My business was really starting to take off and flourish and grow. And the marketplace was responding in its way, you know, to what I had. And I can remember walking into this event that I'd created and there were women standing up and clapping for me. I looked at the room. I didn't know any of them. 
And they had bought tickets. They flew into town. They were staying for three days. I didn't know them. And it was this, it was so exciting. And I realized that my inside hadn't caught up with my outside. And that night, the day one of a three-day event, I lost my voice completely. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, Oh. okay. Okay. So you've got a packed house. You've got this, you know, group that you, you dazzled them in other ways, but you haven't had that in person. You've got them in front of you and you wake up and you're like, where's my voice? Yeah. And I was sick. I wasn't sick. And this was so interesting because I since did a lot of looking into it and research with Mm. it, you Mm. know, and I I immediately got a voice coach on helping me. I was steaming all the things. And she's like, there is no physical reason that you have no voice. Like I literally could not speak. And it was, and I'm also in a room full of women who have done their own work. Right. So they're looking at me like, oh, girl, what's <laughs> but when going you, but when you're, But when you're saying that the inside hadn't caught up, I mean, tell yeah. us more what exactly you mean by that. Well, that was the big lesson and that was the big relaunch. So to up to that point, I was still, I would say that I still pursued growth um, as something and pursued success and meaning and growth as something that was outside of myself and something that I needed to earn and prove through accomplishment, through achievement. And so that sense of hustle had been very effective my entire life, you know, and what was happening was I'd already done it. What I was experiencing was, you know, when I walked into that packed room and I saw all of those women who paid so much money to come, who'd taken the time, they'd hired the babysitters. I didn't know them. They had, they knew me and they'd done it. I was, I'd done all of this work and I didn't feel worthy of it. I just didn't feel worthy of the success that I had created. Um, I couldn't enjoy it or be present with it. I was very afraid. I was afraid of my power, you know? What's crazy about this is that this was just what, five years ago. We're not talking about, we're not talking about 20 years ago. We're talking five. And, you know, I really think that this has a lot to do with the fact that if we go back 10, 15 years ago, I can remember when I was starting um, one of my companies and 2006, yes. and I had to go into a room and there wasn't one woman in that room when I was out there raising capital. And now, even today, as you sit there and say, you know, there's 180,000, but there's double the amount of men that are, you know, in that seven figure club, we're on the brink. I mean, this is still in, you know, the infancy stage. And, and what did you, first off, I need to know what happened, what happened on day two? I mean, you got to tell me, did you get up there? Did you like scratchy, scratchy? What, what exactly happened? 
So as far as what happened, it it was incredibly stressful, but I was probably the least stressed of my entire team because, you know, there's just some, that's being a leader, right? Like there's something that happens where it's really like, we're going to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to face everybody. So a couple of things, my marketing has always been as much about alienating people who are not for me as it is about attracting people who are for me. So what that meant is that the people in the room were great understanding people who could see the big picture. And they understood that, look, there's a larger meaning here, which is how I want to see how she handles this. And I think that for many of them, that was the biggest transformation, you know, that they got. So what I've got to, I've got to, I've got to repeat what you just said. (laughs) You said alienating the people that were not for you. I mean, that is so important. Don't try to serve everyone. Don't. And as you said, it was like, you know what? I had done such a good job making sure that the people in the room they were your tribe. They were, mm-hmm. you know, they were embracing you and yeah, they wanted to see what, what are you going to do now, Eleanor? What, what's going to happen? What's gonna but happen? they were, but they were, they were helping you along the way. They were the wind behind your sail, right? It wasn't totally. like they were like fail, fail, fail. You know, they wanted you to succeed. So I really, a key, key point there, everybody listening that don't try to serve everyone because you will fail. So I asked my team, you know, to step in and deliver other aspects of the material. Um, I had a guest speaker, she delivered uh, more parts of the material, but I made a, I made a mistake. I don't actually don't know if it was a mistake, but the hardest part was I decided that I wanted to make an offer at this event and um, I couldn't make the offer. And in fact, actually, in fact, this event and, and this, you know, and I'll share this because I think this is, this has completely changed how I look at marketing, customer acquisition costs and how I look at doing anything in my business. Um, I, that event was a great way to bring people together. And then I made an offer to come in and join and coach with me. That's essentially how it worked. Mm-hmm. And so going into the event, which was really expensive, I was normally a little bit in the hole you know, in terms of just the cost to create an event, to fly the team there, even with ticket sales, it's not unusual. You're a little bit in the hole. So that meant that it was really important to me to make an offer and to have people come into our programs. The events were always profitable. So I was under tremendous pressure to make an offer. And so one of my team members who was newer She was a salesperson, but a very different kind of salesperson made my offer for me. And I'll be forever grateful that she did and in gratitude that she did. But the way that she offered was completely different and out of alignment from what I would do. Mm. And that was the hardest part. And this is where, you know, I realized, so my whole attitude around how we build assets, marketing assets and sales assets completely shifted from that point where I was like, I will never be in that situation again. I only, you know, I will never go in the hole for the sake of, you know, to, to make profit on the back. Like that just prompts all kinds of 
decisions and choices that are not What's ideal. A, what is a better way to do it then for those trying to figure this out in their head? Yeah. Like, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah. So for instance, maybe that means that you adjust your pricing. So everything you do is profitable. Hmm. You know, so I was really looking at sort of industry standards. I was looking laterally when, and that was when I was continuing at that time. And I think this is a rite of passage, right? That all of us go through. Um, I built a very successful consulting business um, and this was my second business. And this business, it was more about selling offers versus selling contracts, right? And there's a difference in terms of how you present those things. And so as I was learning this new way of doing business, I was really following what people were doing. I was paying attention to step-by-step -step processes. I was um, just kind of paying attention to the formulas and following them. This is how we learn. There's no shame in that. You know, people do it and it's how we learn. The problem is when you stay there. The problem is when you're only ever the apprentice to the great one and you never become the greatness yourself. You know uh, what I mean? And so, that, right. Absolutely. It is yeah. so true. And what, and what you're really saying is so critical because you were talking about, you know, Hey, pricing things correctly, you know, customers that you're acquiring, you're trying to acquire. Yeah. There is that, I believe there's that input and output and output is the customer. The yes. input is the lead generation. It's that's what you can directly affect. That's where, yes. you know, these small incremental changes can really, and as you said, you know, the getting first very clear on the mindset and then saying, you know what, not going to do that again. Didn't feel right. You yep. had given up your voice, which is so profound. If you were, you know, we tie this all together, oh, totally you lost your voice. You gave up that voice to somebody else who I assume the, the sales that day were not overly great, right? <laughs> we can, we can pretty much agree that they probably weren't that whopping success. Oh, they could have been better. Yeah. So it is so, and, and I'd love to get your take on so many of us, you know, we bring people into the business and we want to scale, we want to grow. And we sometimes give that power of our authentic voice to somebody else. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah. Right? It just, so how, what, how do you do that? What's the right way to be mm -hmm. able to scale your voice or scale your business yeah. and keep your voice? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this question. And what it looks like, I think for everybody is going to look completely different. You know, we're all here to build the business only we can build and the way only we can do it. But one of the most profound concepts for me is this idea of sufficiency. So in, in the space of personal development, this idea of, you know, having an abundance mindset is um, really popularized now. And this idea, you know, it's, it's that abundance mindset is there's this massive pool of riches. We, there's no limit to what we can have or what we can be or what we can. And the problem with that is that that can spur, if it's not coming from the right place, our pursuit of abundance can spur a lot of negative behaviors. It's never enough. I'm never happy with this. It's not, you know, um, where's and, the abundance? Why isn't it happening to me? Why is it happening to them and not me? Right. Like <laughs> totally. all of this stuff that just takes you away 
from what you're really supposed to be doing. So uh, the biggest shift that came from that, you know, in terms of not giving away your power, you know, like what we're talking about here, the biggest shift was moving into a place of sufficiency. There's a great book called The Soul of Money, um, where the author Lynn Twist, who's a big time philanthropist and fundraiser, talks about this. But I find when you operate from this place, I'm enough, there is enough, they are enough to be able to take advantage and make their own great decisions about, you know, what we do. When you say I am enough, you're not asking yourself, am I being too direct? Am I being abrasive? Am I being, it's more like I'm enough. I'm allowed to be clear. I'm allowed right. to have expectations. And my, the fact that I believe that this person is not doing it in a way that I is in alignment with my vision as a leader I'm enough and I can speak to them about it. I don't have to be mad. I don't have to be afraid. There's no, like that, it's like it, it changes the whole axis from which you're leading from. And what I have found is that that kind of growth is powerful. Mm. You want to grow, <laughs> you know, like because you feel there's just no hustle anymore, even though there's for sure focused determination effort, work, all of that. But the feeling of it is completely different. When I lost my voice, I didn't feel like enough. I didn't feel like I had enough. I felt I had to rush. I felt I had to overdo it. And I did all those things. <laughs> and then you lost the voice. And, and then I lost my here, voice. And here's something really fascinating about what you're saying. Sometimes when we lose the voice and we have somebody else try to pick that up, you realize more precisely what your voice really is. Yes. Like, what are you really? And I, I've got a quick story around this as well. During COVID, I got, I was um, diagnosed with COVID at the very onset. I mean, I think we went into lockdown in San Francisco on March 16th, March 17th, I got it. And what happened? I woke up, I lost my voice. I, and I know that a lot of people don't have that as a symptom. I did five days of no voice. And during that time, I thought, you know what? I have said I wanted to start a podcast for a gazillion years. I now need to do it. As soon as I get my voice back, I'm going to do it. And that's why I created this podcast. And I did it in 23 days because I'm like, this has to happen before I lose my voice again. But what you said is so profound because it really makes me think when you see somebody trying to craft your voice and they're not doing a good job delivering it and it's not authentic and it's not, it, it actually isn't alienating the people enough. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, this isn't your tribe. That's right. <laughs> go, to the, go to the next village. You'll find them there. Yes. You know, that's yes. I, I just, I love what you're saying about this. And so Tell us like now from this point, you're, you're continuing on your journey and again, so much respect for you and your education. And I know that you were a former chair um, of the visiting women's executive exchange program at the Yale school of management. You're really trying to put yourself out there. You're trying to make sure that it's not, you know, a smaller type of, you know, business you're creating. You're really, you're creating something that's going to be very dynamic in years to come. This isn't a one and done. Can you tell me yeah. your philosophy 
around this lifestyle business Mm -hmm. versus what some people call, you know, either the unicorn or more along the, which is more along the line of, you know, craziness or an empire. What's your, what's your take on this? And by the way, for those that don't know what the executive exchange program at Yale, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the executive exchange, the visiting women's executive exchange program at the Yale school of management, that was a program that existed to advance women of color Mm. um, and women of African descent into positions of leadership in, um, you know, companies, governments, and the nonprofit sector. So it was very much a targeted initiative um, at at increasing diversity, inclusion, and equity in our sort of global workplaces. So that's fantastic. And you were doing that a couple years ago. So this has been a passion of yours for even before then. Yeah. Which I just, I read that and I'm like, Ooh, I love that. (laughs) Right. It's been a a long-term love affair, you know, with women in business. Yeah. So here's the thing, you know, I have been um, in this game for some time. I'm on the board of two venture capital, um, one venture, venture capital fund and one which is a venture capital type fund. And great, you know, love the work that I do there. Love investing and taking a look at high growth companies, understand that game. But what I see so often is that when you think about like women are starting businesses faster than ever before, massive amounts of women started businesses in 2020. And the businesses that we are starting are largely service-based businesses, consulting-based businesses, information-type businesses. And what was so interesting, like, you know, earlier this year, I was um, advising Canada's Um, her name is Christy Freeland. She's Canada's um, finance minister. So she's the second most powerful political leader in Canada. And she was, they are rolling out their economic, you know, uh, recovery plan. And she wanted to talk to me about what this means for women entrepreneurs. And as I'm talking with her, you know, about the initiatives and I'm looking at the initiatives, what I see is when most people, governments, banks, so on, talk about business, they're looking at either big business like Walmart or they're looking at startup culture, like Silicon Valley style startup culture. All good, right? Yep, but very different. <laughs> very different. How we look at businesses, how we, and so the businesses that most of us are running are like sort of written off as lifestyle businesses. And when people call it a lifestyle business, it's not like in the online coaching industry, which is like, here's a laptop and sunshine. no. A lifestyle business is basically classified as a low impact business, not really worth much, you know, in the broader scope of things. I'm like, okay, that's the type of business that most women are running. And or or there, or or I would even say, you know, the low impact, they could be running something of high impact, but they haven't benefited from scaling. They yes. haven't had that opportunity. And it's, it's just, it's infuriating because then they, they pretty much belittle the fact that these women are creating these companies that are, you know, that it's creating success in your lifestyle to be able to have this business. Yet if you call it a lifestyle business, it's like, oh, geez, one of those. (laughs) Right. It's like when a Southerner says, bless your heart. It's like a (laughs) nice way, you know, it's a nice way of delivering shade. That's what 
lifestyle businesses. It's a nice way of delivering shade, you know? Mm. So this is very frustrating. And if you look at women's businesses, they are not studied. There's not a lot of information about them. And so I have a problem with that. You know, I have a problem. And so how do you correct it? First, you have to name, identify, define what it is, because until we do, it is, you know, other people will name it for us. Other people who have no idea, other people whose business model is about not being cash flow positive, about taking on large amounts of venture capital in the hope of building up and scaling so that they can sell or whatever, totally different model that sets the standard for success. And what we do looks unimportant. You know, we don't get the funding. Absolutely. Banks tell us you have no assets. It's garbage. So I really see, you know, I saw a huge gap um, in how we look at and understand women, women owned businesses. And I really saw, look, we need to correct this and address this. And so what I called it, you know, the, the concept that I I wouldn't say I created it because it was there, but the concept that I coined was the idea of a jewel business. So a unicorn is a business that's going to have a billion dollar valuation. A star business is the kind of business y'all want to invest in because it's the queen of its category. It's the category king in a market that's growing 20 to 30% a year. Our businesses are jewel businesses. So these are businesses, they are typically service-based or consulting-based businesses. They can grow at 30% or more a year. If Walmart grew at 30% or more a year, that would be crazy. Our businesses can consistently grow at 30% or more a year. They can maintain a 30% profitability and the founder has 30% open time. That means unscheduled, not in delivery. So it's 30, 30, 30. When you, these businesses have enormous impact, significant profitability and steady growth. And that 30% is until such time as the founder says, look, I want to accelerate growth or decelerate growth. So let's just look at a woman who is doing a hundred grand a year, right? She's doing a hundred grand a year. If she really takes this principle to heart, 10 years in, her business is doing well over uh, seven figures a year. She's paying herself a six figure salary. And even at the most modest of returns, she's probably banked about 1.4 million in profits. Is that I tripled my business in two weeks? No. But if we can get more women doing this, that's how we double the number of women who generate over seven figures in revenue. Well, and what I, what I really can appreciate here is that too many people think if I'm not successful out of the gates by having, you know, that 6k business within the first year, second year, I'm a failure. I, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And this model would allow for steady growth. And yeah, you might have one year where it's like really explosive the next year, you know, it's still, you're still moving forward, but I, I like this idea. Cause I always talk about time, team, money, three most important things in the business. And what you're really hitting on is time, team, and money. I mean, you're really, that's what you're saying, which I, you have to be focused on that part versus trying to be that unicorn or trying to be that, you know, it's not black and white. It's not, you're either this, you know, smaller company that's never going to get, you know, past a certain level, or you're not going to be the unicorn. It's not, there's that section inside, which you're talking about. 
Yes. I love that. I think it's so great because you're putting, you're putting something that you can focus on, drive towards, goal-oriented around how do I do that? How do I go with 30%, you know, or or more? And how do I gain the um, profitability? And how do I get 30% more unscheduled time? Yeah. yeah. And it's Those a are things we can, yeah, we can grasp. It's things that we can grasp. And it also allows for entrepreneurs to do it in different ways. So, you know, things that might work really effectively for me and my company could look completely different from things that work effectively in your company. And so this is important, you know, in the industry that we're in, in the coaching industry, which is an amazing fantastic industry. One of the things that I think the coaching industry would benefit from is greater research into the companies that we support, which are largely small companies. And there's so little, EY doesn't do much, you know, none of the big research arms care, but we generate a huge amount of money. We generate massive jobs. You know, we generate a huge tax base. We are very, very significant. And we need to, you know, I think it's really important to kind of state <laughs> what that looks like, what it is. Um, well, especially as you mentioned earlier, that more women are starting businesses in the last year than yes. ever before, ever before. Yeah. In fact, I heard that we have actually taken over more women have started businesses than men last year. Yeah, that makes, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. Wouldn't surprise me at yeah. all. It was the year to so, do it. Yeah. So now it's a matter of, and I, I, you know, finding you may not be the jewel yet, right? But you're the diamond in the rough waiting to be found. (laughs) Totally. And that's where I think, you know, going back to you're giving all women that are starting in business, this, this roadmap to say, focus in these areas focus in this, you know, the the time team money that I talk about. It's just, you got, you've got to be doing that versus, and I'm sure you have women that come to you that have, you know, initially they come and they say, oh, I just spent, you know, 50,000, 75,000, a hundred thousand. They have nothing to show for it. They're still not, as you talked about, they still don't understand their niche model. They don't understand who their audience is. And so I think that um, uh, this is so clear, of how yeah. you are positioning it. I, I, I admire you a lot for doing that because there needs to be, it needs yeah. to be something in between. It does. And it needs to be, you know, and, and the women that you talked about, I think there's this idea of entrepreneurial confidence and the global entrepreneurship monitor did this. They do these annual studies on entrepreneurs globally. And what was so interesting in Europe, what they found was that, um, Uh, the majority of women entrepreneurs said that a lack of confidence in their ability as an entrepreneur. So not in the technical specialty, which they were implementing and selling through their company, but in their ability to lead, grow, run, scale their company, there was a big lack of confidence there. And I think that's something, and not unsurprisingly, men suffered less from this, you know? (laughs) So I think that idea of entrepreneurial confidence And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we can have teachers and people who show us, try this strategy, experiment with this. This worked really well for a lot of people. Why don't you try it? And I think for every woman listening, that is invaluable to have that experience. 
but understand it, you can't outsource your certainty ever to somebody's methodology. You have to take that methodology in the way that it was designed, which was to provide, it's like training wheels on mm -hmm. your bike. You know, you're not meant to keep them on forever. You're meant to use these methodologies and then make them your own. And that's how you develop entrepreneurial confidence. That's how we double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past a million. I mean, Eleanor, you can't outsource certainty. No. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. And I, I, I would continue to talk to you all day. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, it is time to go into our rapid fire. Yeah. All right. And so I just have to say, are you ready for this? I was born for this. Hillary. <laughs> okay. So here we go. If you are sitting here saying timing of companies now, women who are starting out, how many years should they expect before they can start to see truly that growth you were talking about, the 30, 30, 30? Yeah. If think if they do it right, if they do it right, I would say a minimum of 24 months. Okay. So did you hear that everyone? This is not something that, you know, first year out of the gates. And I think both Eleanor and I could probably list, you know, hundreds of people that it took five years. It took even I longer, We're but we don't want to just two minutes. Yeah. Uh, but we don't yeah. want to discourage. So there's the so. ones that say, you know, you can hit six figures, you know, in 30 days, or they're the ones that say you can do it in five years. We're going to, we're going to go. I like Eleanor. Let's, 24 months. All right. Yeah. So this is our goal. Now, when you are thinking about life opening up again, what is the one thing that you are so excited to do again? I am so excited to fly with my family down to a beautiful resort in the Caribbean and stay there for 10 days and soaking up resort life, being in the South. I'm in a, I am in a, uh, I'm in the North, right? So we're freezing our buns off up here. That's my number one thing I'm looking forward to. Okay. And what would the poolside cocktail be? Oh my God. Not, or not. It could be anything. Poolside drink. Listen, I say. This is going to be a poolside co cocktail. It's probably going to be um, a vod, a dirty vodka martini with extra olives. Oh, that deserves a 10 day vacation. I like That's that right. <laughs> Take me 10 days to recover from that yeah, one yeah. martini. Uh, well, and especially cause these days we're all, you know, we're not. And then there's some that, you know, at this point, our, we're not quite there yet. Yes. Not quite. Okay. Exactly. So favorite, favorite beauty product and the name of it. Okay. My favorite beauty product is called Tea to Tan by Terry. If y'all have not checked out by Terry makeup, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Tea. Okay. Tan. But it's called Tea to Tan. All yeah. Right. It's like a spray on. It's like a, and like it gives a gorgeous you, it gives you bronzer. That. And it gives you the glow. Yeah. It gives you the, the glow, glow as if you are at that 10 day. Exactly. That 10 day exactly. vacation. That's okay. Right. I love it. I love it. Okay. And last but not least, what does a powerhouse of possibility mean to you? Mm, it means 
the freedom to live life on my terms, the money to be free of any sort of obligations and only have opportunities and the influence to be able to shape culture in my small or big way in a way that's meaningful to me. Oh, that is, that is just spot on. Love that. And so for people listening, how can they continue to follow you, get in touch with you? What would be the best way? Oh, thank you. So I think probably if you're a podcast listener, check out the Power Presence Position podcast. That's my show on iTunes, Power Presence Position. Go check that out. And I'm a LinkedIn person. So check me out, connect with me on LinkedIn at Eleanor Beaton. Um, You know, Google me, you'll see my site, eleanorbeaton.com. We all will. Thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and I wish you all the best. Thank you, you as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silver Lined Relaunch. If I said something today that resonated with you, will you please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review and share this episode with others and help them find the silver linings as well. And don't forget, you can have immediate access to the show notes, any giveaways, and the links to those amazing beauty products at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next time, there's always a silver lining. And now is the time to hit the reset button to relaunch those transitions into transformations.